A whimsical girl walks through the looking glass and tumbles down a rabbit hole to find a world of madness in This Movie Must Die. This is the Stephen Sperling podcast show program. You're listening to This Movie Must Die. I'm Stephen Sperling. I'm Aaron Paris. And I'm Josh Sperling. Paramount Studios was going bankrupt in 1933, and so they threw everything they could into this seemingly surefire material, a beloved, much beloved uh, children's story, Alice in Wonderland. Nearly all their major stars appeared, but many of them were unrecognizable with their weird costumes and weirder masks. The movie flopped, but luckily for Paramount, uh, if not for my two co-hosts who suffered greatly last uh, week because of this, luckily for Paramount, Mae West strutted in and saved their bacon with She Done Em Wrong and I'm No Angel, also in 1933. Our faithful listeners will know that last week we reviewed She Done Him Wrong. I had hoped very much that they would enjoy it, and they did not. So now we're going after this, perhaps. Uh, we're going back to bad movies. Uh, but I, I have some hope for this one as well. Before we talk about the movie, though, let's talk about the Alice stories. Uh, what are your feelings towards the books, if you've read them, and whatever adaptations you're familiar with? I, I wanted to tell you that how much I appreciate you actually throwing me a bone here and <laughs> uh, letting me watch something based on something that I actually like. And, and I love the Alice stories. So I've seen various adaptations. Of course, the uh, Disney cartoon from the, what's the time period on that one? That's 1951. 51, okay. So um, seen that one and then the later uh, live action uh, Disney. I think those are Disney too with um, uh, directed by Tim Burton. I actually, no, I take that back. I've only seen the first of those two. I didn't care much for it. So I didn't watch the second one. I've seen a silent one. Um, and there was another, I think a Swedish experimental one. Oh, that sounds um, interesting. Yeah, so uh, I, I've seen various versions of it, and and oh no, there was one from the '80s or something too, or maybe the '90s. Maybe the '90s had Whoopi Goldberg in it. Um, I watched that one too. So yeah, I, I'm very familiar with it. I love I love Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass. Yeah, I oh. didn't know that there was a second story, so I was really glad that Josh was watching it with me because I didn't know Through the Looking Glass. I, I didn't even know anything about it. I read both books. But it's been so long, I couldn't remember what material they got from which book, or if indeed they got the material from from either book. But obviously, the uh, the the walking through the looking glass is from the through the looking glass story, and the tumbling down the rabbit hole comes from the first uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland story. Mm -hmm. uh, were you do you remember the books well enough josh that you uh knew what come from came from where yeah pretty much everything in there came directly from one or the other of the books there was a little bit that was you may not have been familiar with that actually was from alice in wonderland that just wasn't used in the um the disney cartoon version like um pig and pepper um with the the baby that turns into a pig and the chef 
uh, or the cook who keeps throwing dishes at the Duchess. And um, so that actually does come from Alice in Wonderland, but wasn't used in the Disney cartoon. I, I don't know if you've seen other versions or, or anything, what yeah, you're actually I saw a with. silent version. And so I knew about the baby and the pig and the dishes. And I think I remember that from the books or one of the books anyway. I remember that thing happening because it's very, very strange. Aaron, are you familiar with the Disney version of Alice in Wonderland or the Tim Burton version, which is also Disney, I guess? Are you, did you watch any of those? I, you know, I watched the, you know, the Disney cartoon and it's actually that I really love. And so that was one thing when I was watching the movie that I had to make myself separate those two ideas mm -hmm. that you can love the story, but I'm here to look at the movie itself. Which yeah. is a difficult thing it, to do to it, separate those. And two it things. was. I, I found it very uh, difficult, and and to not compare it to a movie that I'm not here to compare it to. You know, I'm not here to compare it to the Disney cartoon I've watched several times. So that's that's not my job here or the point of discussion. So it's kind of hard to you know pinpoint and separate that sometimes. So this well, is, I, would you say that this is your favorite uh, Disney animated feature? Because uh, Josh said uh, in another podcast that this is Alice in Wonderland from 1951 is his favorite non-Pixar animated feature. Is this your favorite or close to your favorite? Yeah, it's, it's kind of in my top five cluster. Okay. So I, I do prefer the, when I say the older movies from Disney, animated I, you know i think people you know, know what i'm talking about i really yeah. only have you know one of the of the newer ones that i really like and enjoy you're talking about pre-disney or during disney and post-disney right right post walt disney walt yeah. disney yeah so yeah the, but to, uh, about what you said uh about which things were from looking glass and which things were from wonderland they they, they actually took so much from through the looking glass that i don't know why uh, they specifically called it Alice in Wonderland. It may have well just been Alice through the looking glass and then into Wonderland. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it was just marketability. <laughs> right. But yeah, it's weird that they took so much from the other one. Now they probably wouldn't because they would want to set themselves up for the sequel and leave enough left for the other one. Or, you know, which is another trend is to take the book and then break it up into a series of movies to leave yourself lots of room for. And then if there's not enough material in the book to break it up into several movies, you just make up new stuff to right. put in there so that you can make enough yeah, for several I, movies. I think it's interesting that the movies we're watching, and I'm forever grateful for this, are about an hour long. <laughs> yeah. You know, at some point we decided e that we either couldn't tell a story in an hour or it was just more money the longer the movie went. I I'm not sure how that happened, but no, it's not uncommon to sit through a two and a half, three hour movie. I found it odd that the movie was what, an hour and 15 minutes or something? Yeah. Yes. And they ran out of material from the first book and had to use some from the second one in an hour and 15 minutes. They're like, whoa, there's not enough material here to fill up this whole an hour yeah. and 15 minutes. It's so strange because that is a very recent phenomenon that is almost unprecedented where they want to make as many movies as possible from a book or a series of books when the tendency before had been to crush it all into one movie, if possible. Right. It was so bizarre to me that they took The Hobbit yes. and made three movies of that when 
they had made only three movies of three books from the Lord of the Rings series. Uh, and I thought that is, that is just the strangest thing ever. And it's not, it's not necessarily bad, I guess. Uh, I haven't seen the all, any but one of the Lord of the Rings movies, but I enjoyed it. And I assumed that it was a good idea to make a long movie out of a very complicated book and not try to crush all the stories into a single movie, which I believe Bakshi did, Ralph Bakshi. He just crushed all the stories together. I could be wrong about that. I haven't seen his version yet. Mm. Yeah, the, the Hobbit is a good example because perfect example. Like you said, it, you know, it was odd that they decided to break that up into three movies since the Hobbit, the the novel is much shorter than any of the Lord of the Rings, and I, I can't speak to the quality of the three movies because I've not seen them. Uh, I've not read the book either. I just the Lord of the Rings, but it it, it seems odd that you have to create new things in order to put it in a movie so that you can, can have three movies. Yes. Like there wasn't too much material to cram it together. And, and though I can't speak to the quality of the Hobbit, I can to it, um, which the, the it part two is, is completely pointless. I don't understand why they split it up the way that they did. Sure. There's a lot of information in it, but it could have been a very good um, or at least a much better one long movie because the whole point of the novel is that it goes back and forth you know they did it as children now they have to go back and do it again as adults so you go back and forth between the two timelines so why you split it in half and then you watch one movie of them doing it as children and then watch another movie of them doing the exact same thing as adults what what could possibly be the purpose of that money money but and and there are a lot a lot of annoying things about the novel it so there are a lot of things that you can take out and still make a good story it it's it, it i think is like the best and the worst of stephen king it has some really great stuff in there talking about the novel and some really really annoying things that is like if, if you're a fan of Stephen King, you read a lot of the stuff, there's always those recurring things. It's like, oh, this again. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And now he's crying. He's crying. Stephen King is crying. Yeah, he's crying yes. in his pile of money because <laughs> Josh Sperling's all like cranky about his book. Sorry, Mr. King. We are going to talk about Alice in Wonderland from 1933, directed by Norman Cloud. It's a Paramount film, like I said. And we are going to get a list of loves from Aaron Paris. I did like the forced perspective. I thought yeah. that they did a really good job, especially because this, I don't want to put this, you know, a live action version of a movie that's supposed to be this, you know, fantastical, I'm uh -huh. being fancy now, you know, it's, that's a really weird combination to try to, come across that's hard to do so I, I thought they did a really good job without it looking fake her especially when she got you know big and small with the table and you know drinking the potion and eating the candy um trying to get in that first door i thought that was really well done yeah there there were some times when it really looked remarkable it was just a, a pleasure to look at there was a there was a shot during the Mad Hatter scene that was uh, especially that way. There was, there was forced perspective. There was just a weirdness to the way 
the the shot was and i really appreciated that okay so the next thing i put down here is let's see here i realized that i put a lot of sass in my notes and not <laughs> uh, not a whole lot of a whole lot of love you can tell yeah. how well she's prepared for this she's like <laughs> well I, I i there's some stuff i wrote i don't know you guys were supposed to learn my lesson from last week when I was all discombobulated. And th that's the reason I chose Alice in Wonderland. Uh, it was just the last minute. It was the first thing I thought of. Well, can I say something that made me laugh? Oh, yes. On the very yeah, no, front end no. is that right as it starts, the fact that the NRA was um, <laughs> in charge of a child's movie, that made me laugh. It was like, how is that a thing? That it, like like who approached who on this project, and it it just seemed like a very odd odd coupling. Yeah, I, I thought the Queen of Hearts was going to come out off with their heads, and then just start blowing people's heads off. Sponsored by the NRA. You know, I didn't look at that too close. I just assumed that it was a different NRA. Did you did you look at the symbol? Was it really the NRA? It looked like the symbol to me. Uh, yeah, I think so. Oh my gosh, I, I didn't realize that. Yeah, it just it just popped on there, and I wasn't really paying attention to it. That's <laughs> and well, and I I guess for me for the last thing is, is that I really like horror movies, and so yeah, um, any type of you know special effects or anything like that, especially in older movies like this, um, I find really really interesting. Uh, I mean because. To me, how we do things now with the green screen, while it's really awesome, it, it's also a cheat. It, you don't have to be as creative as you did when you had to make little models and, you know, and, and do all that. So in that scene, when she goes through the glass, that creepy ass Alice that was like <laughs> coming out the other side. I mean, you know, the fact that it made me go, whoa, 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 what's that? You know, yeah. it, that it caught my attention. That was a good thing? Yeah, because oh my I god, it that was creeped me the hell out, and not in a point. good way. I don't, I don't think it was supposed to scare the crap out of you. I think it was supposed to be magical. Magical. But what was creepy about it? I can't put my finger on just, what was wrong. She looked just like a, a a creepy witch. Like, okay, you know who? She, what she looked like is the kid in the exorcist when she's like all possessed and all wonky like that oh. <laughs> that's what she looked like plus I mean, she, her head spun around and she, her head did not spin around oh right. but i just i'm not sure what the point of that was if it was supposed to kind of move us into a different frame of mind um but i'm sitting there thinking going so does evil alice come into the other world like this is where my brain goes right that's that doesn't make it good though it's this distraction because now you think alice is evil but no i just found it interesting and i thought it was really well done this effect of of these two alices coming through the the looking glass i wish they had explained why in some aspect there were a good Alice and a creepy Alice. Why Why was that a thing? But I, I, I thought it was cool. I think the thing was, the effect was very inept. I think that was the, the answer to your question. Why it, was Oh, I wouldn't have Alice? said inept. So you'd, you'd call it inept. Yeah, they. I'm sure even in the time period, they could have done it better than that. There, it, it seemed to be no reason for them to even try it the way they did. Huh. I don't know. I just, 
And then, um, and then why don't we tack on just, this is not a love, it's a curiosity. Can I ask a curiosity question? Oh, Steven? sure. Josh noticed that when Alice goes through the looking glass, that is a different actress. She really appears to be a different actress. I don't know if she just made some sort of crazy face that doesn't look like that other Alice. And then I thought, oh, okay, they're going to do a stunt with her and they need this stunt Alice. But she just basically glided down on, you know, on a guide and, and they could have had the... But she looked different. Everything about yeah, her, her... She looked, looked really different. different. And I don't, I don't know what the hell they were trying to do there. So uh, yeah. that's, that's why I think it was completely inept. I, 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 I mean, if... The, the result ended up being that Aaron thought there was an evil Alice, then that is not an effect done well because it took away from what they were actually trying I to tell us. I thought it was cool. I think part of it too, Stephen, is that I don't have a grasp on what effects were possible during that time period. Yeah. So to yeah. me, for them to do what they did seemed pretty cool. Like I thought, wow, look what they, what they did, what they got away with and put together. Right. Uh, clearly, I guess if you know more than me about movies, which is pretty much everybody, um, <laughs> it's it's not that cool of an effect as I thought. Pretty much everybody has never heard of Hillbilly Blitzkrieg, and you've got one up on them. I can't. I don't even know how. Congratulations, I don't Aaron. Are you going to are you going to put that on my gravestone? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sat through Billy Blitzkrieg, and now she's dead. That's what will be on your tombstone. One thing I did notice, Stephen, is I'm like I said, I'm not doing well. I'm looking at my notes. I wrote three pages of notes, and I don't remember what a lot of them are. So oh, really? that's that's why I'm struggling a little bit. So so listening audience, I do apologize. I'm just not well today. So. But I, I can bring the hate. Don't worry. I can bring the hate. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't to my need soul. to be well for the hate. <laughs> but, but no, it was, I thought it was interesting because I was looking at it from a very different point of view, I think, than the two of you were. So, well, actually, I'm with you on this. If s something is interesting, it makes up for the fact that maybe they didn't get quite the effect they wanted. And I'm not sure that it was a totally wrong I, i'm not sure that it was a totally wrong move to creep us out a little bit but, well i think the subject of creepiness is going to come up more in our discussions though so <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll hold that off for the moment one more thought sure. is i think they did need to do when i say big you know kind of striking things like that mm -hmm. to compensate for the fact that they're trying to make something fantastical live action right within the con the confines of of their abilities at the time so i i think you know that's why they needed to be a little jolting here or there or you know because there were other times too i'd be watching it i'm like oh my god what's that yeah i, I think that's why they had and to probably do they blew their budget on this cast <laughs> really yeah i was glad they had the the pictures in uh, in front with the names that... yeah because a lot of them you couldn't uh recognize them right they, they would not have blown their budget because all of these would have been contract players okay so they I, i'm not i'm not sure how that contract system worked but they didn't they didn't have to negotiate with a whole huge group of actors the way they do now they had them on contract already so it seems like that aspect of it would have felt to them like it was worth it to have all these stars in there. I mean, they really needed to make some money at the time. It didn't work out. So was it, the little it, girl 
important? Was she a, a star? No, I don't think so. Her uh, her most familiar movie to me was March of the Wooden Soldiers. And I, I've seen that movie two or three times and I don't know who she would have been. I assume she would have been probably, you know, the juvenile lead. You know, there was probably some romance in there, but all I remember from March of the Wooden Soldiers is the evil villain and Laurel and Hardy. Uh, so she, she, she wasn't uh, a big deal. Um, and I'll get to my discussion of whether I, I liked or disliked her performance, but yeah, I don't think she was a big deal and she, her career didn't really take off. Yeah. But this was a good role for anybody to get when they're, when they're that young. She wasn't that young. No, yeah, no. That, she, was, no, she, she was, wasn't 12 like she was supposed to be. They called yeah. her 12 years old and she wasn't that, but uh, we can we can talk about her. Uh, oh, was, I know what I want to say. Uh, she was still getting half price at uh, Bob Evans. Yeah, Stephen. maybe so. Yeah. Um, she, <laughs> she, uh, I wanted to mention that uh, there was some entry in IMDb trivia about uh, her having a stand-in um there her stand-in almost got the role but failed and so she ended up they still ended up hiring her as a stand-in and so i'm thinking if they already had a stand-in for her then they probably wanted to use her for anything that resembled a stunt but it was unusual that they did that since it didn't seem even remotely dangerous what they did exactly floating down yeah, uh, but that's probably what happened. They probably did use that stand-in. Uh, mm. So that's that's my speculation there. Josh, what are your loves for Alice in Wonderland from 1933? Well, I have one big love, and I think all the other things sort of fall uh, fall fall under this umbrella. Okay. And that's that the whole thing was so freaking bizarre. Yes. That even when it didn't work, even when it was completely inept, it still worked. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, in essence, that's what Alice in Wonderland is. It's just this bizarre chunk of nonsense right. that you're falling into uh, down the rabbit hole. And and so I think, yeah, the more bizarre and crazy and, 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 and uh, completely inept, all the effects, all the costumes, everything only added to how much I enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I, I, I think that's my one big love for the movie and, and why I really enjoyed watching it. But um, uh, other things, um, specifically the, the animal costumes were just creepy as hell. <laughs> Aaron likes to find old halloween pictures of uh, kids in their halloween costumes and yes. send them to me because they're just so creepy and <laughs> i don't know why i love that so much but i was I, I i have a thing about that so she's been collecting them for me which i find amusing <laughs> and they just they creep me the hell out and and this alice in one this version of alice in wonderland was kind of like an old <laughs> an old timey and and in aaron's words uh, uh halloween for little kids yeah i love halloween so you know yeah, there's just something creepy about weird homemade masks. That and they kids were always big and like paper mache and they would look like wonky cats and crap. Yeah, it's much better than when I was a kid and everybody was He-Man or uh, a cheerleader or something like that. And of course, now everybody's a slutty version of whatever, you know, slutty Mario, uh, slutty um, uh, 
Prime, Optimus Prime, or Slutty Cheerleader, which is Slutty Cheerleader. You know, okay. I'm going to be Slutty Humpty Dumpty for the next Halloween. Okay, that's a visual that I never want to have passed through my head again. <laughs> well, maybe if you're having a little bit of memory trouble right now, that, that that's a good thing, actually. <laughs> I think that qualifies for hazard pay. Yeah, probably used. does. Probably does. I think I'll shut up now and let Josh uh, give me his other two loves. Oh, no, that those are two things. And then... Um uh my my last one even though that intro was extremely long i mean i did get after watching it for a while why the intro had to be so long so that you see hey we've thrown every single celebrity we could think of into this film but we've disguised all of them so here are all the celebrities half the movie is just telling you behind this mask is really this guy you know that that sort of thing um but it you know even with that i i you know i thought it was neat to see um uh wc fields as humpty dumpty and yeah um uh and fort sterling uh was much much less annoying as the white king (laughs) than he is in his old silent films mugging at the camera uh so that was nice um uh and um gary cooper i uh would rather see as the um the the white knight um falling off his horse instead of um <laughs> his boring boring cowboy in uh high noon uh, uh, <laughs> audience can you believe this can you believe this guy <laughs> i'm looking at the camera right now and saying what <laughs> and of course um you know the the fractured fairy tales guy uh, as the Mad Hatter, who who we all know as the narrator of uh, the short one got fat, um, where speaking of creepy animal costumes, there were yes. a bunch of children in creepy ass uh, monkey masks teaching us about bicycle safety. Oh my God, I forgot about that short. <laughs> that is just, I, and what what's, what's with the creepy masks? Why is that a thing that needs to happen? I don't know, but I love it. More creepy masks, I say. I, I love children. it too. On children, yes. I ended up loving this much more than I expected to because I remember watching it as a teenager. Uh, I was already in my uh, movie love phase. I wasn't in my kid phase wanting to watch any sort of uh, uh, kid-related movies. I was a teenager and I just thought it was disturbing and gross and uh, I didn't like that much of course i i'm sure i i'm sure i was entertained by it because i think it would be very difficult not to be entertained by something so bizarre but this time i just totally went with it and even though now i still don't find this to be a perfect movie by any means Mm -hmm. i did enjoy the bizarreness much much more and i did enjoy much much more about this version of Alice in Wonderland. The first thing I have here on my loves is that it captures some of the madness and the humor of the books. I laughed several times, which I really appreciated. And although, uh, like I said, I couldn't remember exactly what came from the books and what didn't, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that probably the jokes I laughed at were from right from the books. Uh, I, I laughed quite a bit at this movie. Um, and so I was, I was very pleased with that. I loved Edna May Oliver as the Red Queen. Uh, she gave a, a really splendid 
over the top performance, which is exactly what you need to do in this film. Uh, we'll, on my hit list, we'll get to performances that uh, were under the top, I suppose you could say. Uh, Edward Everett Horton as the Mad Hatter, which was on your list too, Josh. Mm-hmm. And this one I have mixed feelings about, but I'm going to go ahead and say it's a love. Uh, Cary Grant as the Mock Turtle. <laughs> what was that that was confusing that was that creeped me out (laughs) so much Uh, when we very first see him we he's we've got this creepy mock turtle mask (laughs) that's the we've got a close-up on that and the mask is crying and we've got this terrible sobbing noise (laughs) coming from the mask and and then we get a full shot of it and it's some weird hybrid animal uh i i read later that mock turtle soup was made of veal right and it was you read that too that that it's made of veal because some people couldn't afford turtles i don't know why veal would be cheaper than turtles but yeah yeah, so it's it's some mixture of a, a turtle and a deer and it was just it was so hideous, but I really appreciated that Cary Grant just let loose. Beautiful soup, who cares for fish, game or any other dish? Who would not give all else for soup? Pennyworth's only a beautiful soup. Pennyworth's only a beautiful soup. Beautiful soup. Beautiful soup. Soup of the evening. Beautiful soup. Beautiful. probably more than any other actor in the film. And I I appreciated that since I felt underwhelmed by a few of the performances. It was only a few. For for the most part, I was really happy with the actors in it and thought most of them were well cast. Uh, And I especially like Charlotte Henry as Alice. Uh, Neither one of you... We'll wait just in case she's on your hate list. I really, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed her performance. I thought she was very charming. One thing about her characterization was that I liked it, but it might have stood in the way of the movie being better. I liked that she was generally nonplussed by the things that were happening in there. It made her seem like a very a brave and interesting person that she's not being horrified. I don't believe she's scared at any point. Things happen to her that are a bit stressful for her. She's really eager to, for instance, shrink at one point, and then she's got to get bigger again. But the, the downside to that is that there's well we'll we'll talk about that on my hate list the downside of her not being scared or particularly emotional about this experience she's she just goes in like a, an innocent little kid who's too innocent even to be too afraid and this is a dream too that she's having so that would 
be another reason why she wouldn't be afraid. So that was that's kind of a good and bad thing. And the third thing I have is the uniform weirdness of the sets, costumes, and special effects. It just kept my interest all the way, no matter what other shortcoming I thought the film might have had it made the film extremely interesting. Yeah, on, on the the uh, performance of uh, the the girl who played Alice, that the, the way you describe her performance is really what I take from the Alice in the book, where she doesn't seem to react the way a normal kid would if she was really in, this was really happening to her. Right. She's just like, you know, these animals just start start talking and she's just like, oh, okay, you're a talking mouse then. That's that's our okay, okay with me. And and obviously because this is supposed to be a dream that, you know, we we take it that way. And that's, so I, I think that works. But remember, she does suddenly get very emotional about not being able to get through the door and starts bawling her eyes out. She's a big baby. She is. That that didn't seem to come out of nowhere where I didn't feel that way in the book or in the cartoon, but she just suddenly is like totally all these weird things are happening and she's growing big and going small, but then she totally gives up. There's no possibility of her ever getting smaller and she just starts crying her eyes out. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Because that's what causes the puddle. Yeah. That she... So that that may have been the reason why it just comes out of nowhere. And I even forgot about that emotional moment. They needed that puddle to happen so she had to suddenly cry her eyes out i'd forgotten about that that was very out of character for her otherwise because she has an admirable spine when it comes to all this stuff happening i'm glad you told me that that was from the books because i did think so and i was thinking that the more emotional alice that we get in the 1951 Disney movie was not so much from the books. Uh, but of course, the advantage to her having more emotions and having more of an urgency to what's going on, you know, she really wants to find that rabbit in the Disney film. The rabbit barely has a purpose here in this film. She right. really wants to find that rabbit. She's really, really determined to to get big or small. And and she gets, she gets more upset about the bizarre even jerk behavior of a lot of the characters in there. And I kind of felt it was a relief in this film not to quite be so emotionally involved. But again, there's a sacrifice that comes along with that. Yeah, I think a lot of the reason why we lost the drive to follow the White Rabbit is because of the mishmash of the books where what brings her there and Alice in Wonderland, what drives a, a lot of what she's doing has to do with her following the white rabbit around until she ends up in his house and grows huge. And, and so all the way up to that point, she's really just following the white rabbit that gets lost because she goes through the mirror. And then there's the thing with the uh, chess pieces and all that. That's all from looking glass. I just realized the queen of hearts probably was not in the same story with the Red Queen and the White Queen, correct? Right. Queen of Hearts is from Alice in Wonderland and the the whole thing with all the chess pieces, the queens and the knights and all that, that's all from Alice through the looking glass. Because that, that was another problem. I, I'd forgotten to write that down, but that seemed to be too many queens to have to deal with yes. mentally. Because part of me wondered, now that wasn't Edna Mae Oliver playing the queen of hearts but so that must have been a different queen I, I got a little confused and that was just we didn't need all three of the characters we needed either 
either the queen of hearts or the red and white queen, but we didn't need all three of them in the same movie. I agree. I really honestly think they could have taken out all of the Alice through the looking glass stuff, mm. um, added some of the stuff that they didn't have time for from Alice in Wonderland, uh, a perfectly good movie. Yeah. It was well, good as better than it, better than it ended up being. Yeah. Okay. Aaron, what are your hates? Well, the first thing I'm going to bring up and then every movie buff on the planet is going to just want kill me and burn me at the stake probably is it really bothered me or let me put this way i felt it really shortchanged the story by it being in black and white oh oh i i and actually agree with that i would totally you, agree with you I, I, I think alice in wonderland really benefits from being in color it just there's this story is so weird and trippy it just is and i feel like color adds just a wonky dimension that that this story I think would have really taken it up a notch. And I know that there's a lot of people who are like, oh, it's black and white. I hate coloring things, you know, no colorization, blah, blah, blah. And that's not really what I'm saying. I, I'm just saying the story as a whole, it it needs it needs color to really pop. This is probably one of the few movies that I would say I would be on board with them colorizing it because generally my problem with colorizing is it it doesn't look realistic enough. A, a lot of most movies I think that were in black and white, they they designed them that way specifically be, specifically because it was going to be black and white and didn't need to be color. But this movie doesn't have to look realistic. And obviously it, it benefits from being in color. And I thought that the that it made it more difficult to keep track of the queens. Yeah. And the oh chess yeah, that, that's probably and, true. Yeah, that's probably know, true. Especially for somebody like me who doesn't know both stories. And now I've got all this royalty running around and, and, yeah. and I don't I don't know who's who and I'm trying to keep everybody straight. So you know, and I think maybe too, that's probably why they did the exaggerated um, masks and, and costumes and all that was to try to, you know, create weirdness to compensate for the lack of, of color. Yeah. I feel. Yeah. I, I want to say something about that. I, I disagree with you on this particular movie because I thought the black and white added to the creepiness, which was made it a lot of fun. For me and i think you're saying the same thing too that it did add to the creepiness or or maybe you're saying that they needed to up the creepiness in order to be colorful because in a way this movie was colorful in 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 the sense that you know there's a lot of strange things going on but i think uh, a film buff would be remiss not to admit that once in a while there are black and white films that should have been in color and i I think Yankee Doodle Dandy with Jimmy Cagney is one of those movies. I mean, it's it's waving the flag all the time. You got to see all all three of the colors there, but we only get one of or two, I guess, a black and white flag. And there are some other movies. And also, I have I thought the flag was black and white back then. No, no, no. they had a they had a color flag like uh, back then. I don't know how they managed mm. to afford to to get those dyes but they they manage somehow and most oh, flags maybe we all we could put a man on the moon and color our flags but we can't color our movies <laughs> I, 
I'm getting a lot less snobby just in general about movies. I don't know what's happening to me. I'm liking way too many uh, movies. I don't think that you get to decide that for yourself. Oh, well, you oh. didn't know him uh, when we were young. <laughs> He's gotten a lot less snobby. Well, trust I me. I like how he's running his mouth about he, how he didn't watch kid movies. He never watched kid movies, people. He, <laughs> when he's five, he's like, I want to watch Gone with the Wind. <laughs> no, not so, when I was don't, don't let him tell you he's, you know, yeah, uh uh. Not what the was... hell are you kids watching? Gone with the Wind. <laughs> Pound puppies. We're watching High Noon. <laughs> No, there there was a there was a five year old period where I watched normal weird stupid kid stuff and would would not have watched Ozu. I was not watching Ozu at five years old. I'll tell you that you shouldn't be watching Ozu at any time. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's a uh, Japanese director. Oh. <laughs> what, what was it? Oh, the, uh, but, but I'm getting a lot less snippy about colorized films as well, and I thought it was interesting that. Uh, the Criterion channel actually had a black and white and colorized version of 30 million miles to earth. I think it's called. And I thought that was really interesting because I think, I, I think we all, we film snobs all went way overboard when this colorization thing first happened. Uh, the early colorization did not look good for one thing, but uh, I have to admit that, I think March of the Wooden Soldiers looks very nice, colorized, and there are a few others. Ted Turner wanted to colorize Citizen Kane, which I think is is absolutely ridiculous. And, oh yeah, that would yeah, and and obviously I I don't love Citizen Kane, so I would right. defend it for on you know for that reason. I it just it I can't imagine improving it by being color. Yeah, well, it's an inherently black and white film, so right. so that's really silly. But s some movies might well have been in color had they had the budget back then. Uh, so it's not that obscene to, to to give you a choice. I was I was so against that when it was new. I was just so passionately against that. But I've I've lightened up in a lot of ways. Believe it or not, Aaron, I've lightened up. <laughs> That's terrifying on so many levels. I All right, know. do you want my second hate? Yes, second hate. Second hate. Okay, now, now, now hear me out on this. Okay. So as I, as I was watching this, I started to notice how much this movie was almost, in some instances, the same as The Wizard of Oz. And I was thinking the whole time, wow, they really re ripped off The Wizard of Oz, only to find <laughs> out later when Josh and I looked it up that The Wizard of Oz came later. Yeah. But so the, a lot of it, um, even down to, and Josh and I completed the sentence while we were watching it, she's um, getting ready to like eat the pudding. And <laughs> that it, it, pudding. The pudding and it says something like how would you like it if somebody came along and took a sip out of you well that's pretty much what the apple says or the tree says when she goes and takes an apple from it oh that's right that's in right the Wizard of Oz. yeah we, we both i think almost simultaneously said that how would you like it if somebody started making apples apple, over you you know <laughs> so and even i realized that her outfit 
was similar. Like, you know that she's wearing the blue dress with the white pinafore, I think that's what they call that. And I even noticed that the cadence, and this was was a question I was going to actually ask you, was that the cadence that she spoke in was, I could hear it reflected in how Judy Garland spoke in The Wizard of Oz and kind of the words she used and just how in in the tone she used. And I thought, well, maybe this is just how people young ladies, young actresses spoke in that time period. I don't know, but if I shut my eyes, I, I could hear, I could hear Judy Garland. I could hear The Wizard of Oz in my head as I'm watching this movie. I think it's a, a mixture of partly an accurate reflection of how people behave back then, but also added to that, how people were all trained to behave so i assume that uh judy garland's training as an actress was probably very much similar to charlotte henry's and i think there's some truth to that business in singing in the rain where everyone had to go to a vocal coach all of a sudden because they okay. were no longer making silent movies i i'm sure everybody listening to this knows singing in the rain but just in case it's from 1952 and it's talking about the uh, era when silent movies switched to uh, talkies. Uh, and there was a, in the really, really early talkies, there is a, a weirdly affected style of talking that very, very many of the actors were using. And it's very good that they dropped that because it's just, it's just way too affected. It was probably too affected even at the, for the times when people might have expected that from their actors. It just uh, um, yeah. It just I wrote. Didn't work. I wrote down here. I said it's the Wizard of Oz and the Nutcracker had a baby. <laughs> that's that's a lot of, of kind of what I thought. You know, because she goes from weird section to weird section, and it, I yeah. don't know. But those yeah. are just yeah. the two things that really came to me, and and it just kind of. At the time, before that, I, I I knew which came first. It just really annoyed me. <laughs> now that I know that the Wizard of Oz came second, that I don't I don't know how I feel about that. But um, well, it could be too about the 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 similarities between the two actresses. Is it wasn't just this is how you know actresses their age acted, but also there may have been a standard way of how uh, uh, an actress behaves like a younger person than she actually right. is because both uh this girl and judy garland were were playing a character who was much younger than they right. were so it's like there may have been a uh, a standard way of how do, how do you how do you act in a way that makes you seem younger without being ridiculous mm. uh, and you know maybe if you weren't just an average viewer such as myself maybe those comparisons I, I, there's just something about it kind of poked at me the whole time i was watching the movie um, well, I'm, I kept I'm almost, sure other people kept... would have noticed that. In fact, you, you're also you're reminding me that uh, that the Wizard of Oz, the book, uh, came after Alice in Wonderland, the book, or Alice's mm-hmm. Adventures in the in Wonderland, and that most people considered Wizard of Oz to be uh, uh, Frank L. Baum's uh, attempt, or is it L. Frank Baum, Josh? Is it Frank L. or L. Frank? I forget. I forget. Well, I think it's Frank L., but I could be wrong. Okay, it was his attempt to make his own version of Alice in Wonderland. Uh, so, so the similarities might have uh, might have started. The similarities between the two movies might have started with the similarities between the two books. Uh, oh, that could be. Yeah, you know, like I said, it's just something that kind of 
bugged me. Okay, I'll I'll bring it home with my third hate. Bring your hate home, about, baby. Bring my hate home. I want to talk about that poor flamingo. It took <laughs> oh. me a minute. And then I realized that that poor bird was real. And I thought, why in God's name is she manhandling and tormenting that bird? I just, I, it just really bothered me. You know how I feel about animals in movies and, and how they're treated. And so that really, really bothered me. Do you think it was real all the time? It, it seemed to me that there were times when it wasn't real in some shots. Really? It seemed, it, no. they seemed real to me the whole time. Oh, really? But but I, yeah. I don't know about how much she was manhandling it. I mean, she made it straight. She pulled its head and made its neck straight so she could hit a ball. That's <laughs> not okay. What's wrong dis- with people? Yeah, that's a disadvantage no. of making a, a live action version of this story because that is such a great indelible uh, image mm-hmm. from the books and from uh, and Disney did it really really well. Yes, trying to use a flamingo to play croquet <laughs> is such a great idea. Unless it's real. Yes, yes. I just, you know, I just am horrified that people would do this to animals for entertainment. But you know, I have a very staunch opinion on that i don't even like going to the zoo i'm just glad they they didn't put a bunch of kittens in a net and slow slowly lower over a fire which is you know earlier forms of entertainment involved what yeah that was uh, oh you know you didn't know that oh my gosh i i I, who would do that how is that funny what uh, don't ask me like i was doing and i was not involved in that this is not okay notice how my voice goes up 18 octaves because i cannot believe what i am hearing oh i'm I'm almost sad that you are hearing about this because it, it is one of the most damning things about humans that we've we ever did that yeah yeah, I think that says a lot. I mean, we are still those same people. We, and you know, you and I didn't do it, but we evolved from those people. And and no, evolved isn't even the right word because we haven't evolved at all since then. We are those people. We are exactly those people. Well, to dial it back so I can actually sleep tonight without yeah. having and you know nightmares all night. It just that really bothered me. I hated that. I didn't like it. Mm. And I think that. Her and the movie people and the directors owe flamingos everywhere apology. <laughs> On behalf of the cast and crew of Alice in Wonderland from 1933, I'm sorry, flamingos. No, they should like donate money to Flamingo Rescue. I just said I'm sorry. What more could you want? Money. Weren't those lawn flamingos that used to be popular, maybe still are popular for all I know, weren't they an attempt at reparations? No. In fact, there's these dumbasses that live around the corner from us. They have those in their yard for no reason. It's like, we don't live in Florida. What the holy hell is wrong with you? And I, I tried taking them out of their yard and playing croquet with them. And it's better with the fake ones, but it's still very difficult. Yeah, I've, I've had that experience myself. I, I tried it too. Josh, you and I are just both experimental type people who will try anything. Right. I don't want to know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's the end of Aaron's hate, Craig. So. Oh, Josh? my hate is never ending. No, 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 no. <laughs> about, the movie, about the movie. Oh. Okay. okay. So. Uh, <laughs> so you know, I, I I know you're gonna hate me for for saying this because I know that Alice's uh, performance was on your love list, love yeah. list, Stephen. But I didn't look at how 
uh, how old Judy Garland was when she played Dorothy. Do you know that off the top of your head? No, but she was, e- even as a kid, I knew that she was a bit too old for that. Right. But she didn't come off as annoying or creepy to me. It, oh, you, you, know, thought, you really thought Charlotte Henry was, was annoying and creepy? That's interesting. Yeah, She's I did. so annoying. I'm so on board really? with you. I, oh, yeah. I think it was just her trying too hard to seem younger um oh. and and yeah alice is supposed to be the the alice from the novel is supposed to be younger than the dorothy from the novel but they're supposed to be they're obviously they're both uh, the characters are much younger than the actresses i think she was 29 am i right oh my gosh i did not look that up yeah because i thought whoa she's way too old to be Alice when I looked at her. And then, yeah, I, I it seemed like she was overcompensating for how old she was. Oh, um, Josh, I bought it to the extent that I assumed she was probably 16. Oh my God, I, really? Yeah, I thought she looked really young. And so I didn't even bother to look up her age. She seemed like 29 to you? I, I think that's what it was when I uh, looked it up on internet. Right, but but you weren't surprised by that because I'm shocked. I, I I would have guessed her a little younger maybe, but she definitely seemed way, way, way too old to be playing Alice. Oh, wow. And she was so annoying in the morning, like in the very beginning, and she's hanging out in the morning with her nanny yes. and she's whining. And yes. I'm like, I just want to kill her. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. I was wanting to uh, kill the uh, governess. I think it's a governess, not an aunt. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, okay, fancy the old-timey <laughs> words. With your governess. governess. Uh, I wanted to kill the governess because she was just acting like a normal kid. I mean, I just ignore it for, for a moment. Ignore the fact that a woman too old is playing her. Uh, you know, a kid goes around and makes up and makes up whimsical stories about her reality that she can. Uh, make an egg come back together and that the, there are people living on the other side of the looking glass. And it really annoyed me that that governess kept saying things like, Alice, are you sure that's true? You know, <laughs> every time she said something whimsical, that governess was there to slap her down. And uh, so it was the governess who annoyed me. Oh, I'm, I'm really surprised that you both had that uh, reaction to Charlotte Henry. Yeah. And, and about the governess's behavior, I, I think Obviously, she was supposed to be ridiculously staunch because right. it's sort of a a child's view of how how adults are and, and how they want right. to crush your. And keep dreams. in mind, she's got to put up with that bull every day. <laughs> every day, yeah. And You're thirty years old, Alice. <laughs> you know, she's like, work on your sampler or go outside. You know, I, mean, I, I don't blame her for being that way. I've just got more whimsical stories. Alice, get a freaking job. Move out. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny that I had really two diametrically opposed opinions about the governess because I thought that's a very civilized way to tell a child to 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 stop lying. Uh, because you know, trashy people would be like, "You shut the hell up, or I'll slap you." You know, and all all this governess did was uh, say, "Alice, are you sure that's true?" But it it, it at the same time it made me an, uh, annoyed by the governess because the, Alice couldn't say one 
uh, whimsical thing without her, <laughs> without her putting the kibosh to, to it. And I, uh, I love how Stephen has decided Alice either needs to live in a fancy house with a governess or a trailer. <laughs> Those are the only living options for Alice. They really need to uh, make an uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland into a trailer park. Trailer version. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw red, uh, uh, white cockroach out there. Oh, Alice, shut the hell up. Uh, no, the cockroach got a muffler on. <laughs> muffler come from my truck, damn it. Which of these cigarettes makes me big? <laughs> Puff from this cigarette makes you big. That cigarette, the, the menthol make you small. small. <laughs> Well, I guess you guys have objective proof that you're wrong. I mean, I know we're just both giving our opinions and you can't make an opinion right or wrong, but I, I have to admit the fact that she actually turned out to be 29 uh, was is kind of uh, is very much evidence on your side. But I, I just assumed that she was 16. I just glanced over her filmography and saw that she was in uh, March of the Wooden Soldiers a year after this and some other things, uh, but apparently didn't have a huge career but i guess that's a pretty big deal to be a 29 year old who gets to play alice so what else do you do you hate what else do i oh from the movie yeah um, from the movie. oh wow so you know unlike you i i was sort of split about the uh effects and i touched on it a little bit uh, that some of the effects looked really, really good yeah. for this time period or even later time period. Some of it, they did really, really well. And some of it just looked plain awful. And I would be more inclined to say that, you know, I haven't seen a ton of movies from this time period. And so I'd be more inclined to say, yeah, maybe they, you know, this is the best they could do at that time. And that's okay. I'll cut kind of a little slack, but there were certain things like the shrinking effect that, at first, she shrinks and grows with this weird fuzzy thing where she's warped. Yeah. And, and and to me, that looked really bad. I get what they were trying to do with the warped thing, and that was a little neat if they could have pulled it off. But once it looked like that, they should have been like, let's go a different direction with this. And they did do it a different direction. One of the times she shrunk or grew, it, she she did it in a much obvious obviously better way where she just shrinks and it was like whoa that actually looked good she wasn't all fuzzy and weird maybe that was more expensive doing it that way right well i don't know the other way seemed to be more elaborate where they sort of made her wonky looking and part of her was stretched as if you're looking at her through a vase or something like that where it's all you know a funhouse mirror maybe is a better example was this a big budget film at yes. all yes Oh, I was just wondering if so. Yeah, they threw a lot of money into this and it it made a bad situation even worse for them. So it's a, it was a real godsend that Mae West came around and- um, Oh and my God, if you mention Mae West one more time, I want to get in my car and I'm going to drive the 20 minutes to your apartment and kick your ass. All right. Man, couldn't, you Alice, guys are... couldn't Alice have just invented the white rabbit to come up and see her? Uh... <laughs> That's good. I like that. I like that. That's so, a good one. So, any do you have a response to my my thoughts on the uh, effects, Stephen? That some of them. Yeah, were, it, this just shows that I'm getting way too soft because that was 
one of the few things that I remembered as a teenager that I thought that effect was awful. And that, that effect alone contributed to me having kind of a, a lower estimation of the movie. But now I looked at it and I thought, Oh, it's cool. <laughs> I, I'm getting too really? soft. I'm getting way too soft. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, it, I'm liking 29 year olds playing 12 year olds. I'm just, <laughs> I'm getting too soft. Which is funny because, you know, when I was, when I was a kid and you were watching this and I was watching Care Bears, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and now I, you know, I'm, I'm in my forties and, uh, you know, I've gotten extremely snobby and uh, where I drive Aaron crazy. It's hard to live with. Mm-hmm. So I'm becoming you and you're becoming me. Oh, Are you suggesting that. that I'm watching Care Bears now? I am, we'll get there. but I'm, I'm just you're, wondering if you're suggesting that. Yeah, if you're not watching Care Bears yet, you will be soon. Yeah, I'm getting close to it. I got very close to actually liking going overboard with right. uh, Adam Sandler. So the, probably the next time I see it, I'm going to actually like it. And then I'll know that my career as a movie buff and a snob are over. Yeah, you can over. just like everything. What kind of critic is that? Yeah. Is that the last of your hates or you was there more? Hate. Don't you have another I hate? I do have a third hate. Ooh. Um, yeah, I deliberately omitted uh, Cary Grant when I was listing off, uh, you know, people's performances that I at least liked better for, than other things like Ford Sterling and Gary Cooper. <laughs> this is the worst performance of, of Gary, uh, of Cary Grant that I've ever seen. I thought he was not used well at all as this character oh my gosh um, I, covering him up like that in the most hideous costume i have to admit that's kind of a sin yeah and and, and not just his his looks but his you know, he's got this very cultured voice that I think is totally wasted on this ridiculous mock turtle. Um, yeah, who's just crying. And I mean, I, I think they could have gotten somebody, they could have swapped with somebody else and gotten somebody else to make that a lot better and use Cary Grant, for example, the Dodo uh, was extremely dull. I don't remember who played the Dodo. What even was that? That was yeah. just stupid. It was like a stupid stop along the way. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the Dodo was just nothing. And, you know, right. he's supposed to be some sort of pompous, <laughs> you know, bird who uh, thinks he's smarter than everybody else because he's smarter than other animals and a little girl. And he thinks he's so brilliant. And and uh, I think Cary Grant could have done that whole lot better. Oh, than, yeah. Uh, whoever played that. I, I, I didn't recognize the um, actress. Who yeah, played. I won't I won't say the name because that's that's going to be on my list, too. But yeah, I, I totally agree with you there that. Cary Grant was ill-used. Well, when I get to my hate list, I'll, I'll tell you one of the reasons why I was swayed. Because I think I I actually said to myself as a teenager, this is Cary Grant's worst performance. And and even now, I'm not totally sold on on that performance. But I'll, I'll, I'll explain later. But I, I don't disagree with you quite as much as you might have thought. Oh, okay. But but yeah, I, his his singing that song was awful, awful, <laughs> and yeah, the whole thing with the um, I I looked up afterward and found out the same thing that you read about the uh, why he didn't have a turtle head. I was just like, what the hell is that? Do they think a turtle's head looks like a deer? Right. Why does he have a deer head? It was so creepy. Oh my gosh! But again, that added to my overall enjoyment. I think just because it didn't make any sort of sense. But I, but I think yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, Carrie Grant yeah, me too. definitely was wasted there. 
Yeah. Can you, can you imagine? I mean, they, they, and they showed at the very beginning in that, in that book, they showed a picture of Cary Grant looking at his absolute best that he's <laughs> ever looked in his entire life. And he's always looked good. And then he, he wears that mask. Oh my God. <laughs> have mercy on my soul. Yeah. I, I half agree with you about Cary Grant's performance, but I, again, I decided I decided to put him on the love column and I'll, I'll explain why later. So is that the last of your hates? Yes. Hey, Stephen, I have a question. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you know why did they pick this particular story to attempt to save them? I, my guess is that since Alice in Wonderland was so extremely popular over many years by this time that they felt that it was a surefire a surefire thing everybody loved alice in wonderland everybody knew alice in wonderland you didn't have to promote it to the uh, in the sense that you didn't have to get the name recognition out there everybody knew it they look at a poster for alice in wonderland and they immediately know what it is plus they can throw all their contract players into this thing and they just made a lot of mistakes people people usually put its flop down to the the actors being covered up uh they felt that a lot of the audience members would have been irritated to go see their favorite stars and then they're they're complete i mean anybody who's going there to see Cary grant is just going to <laughs> going to walk out <laughs> unless unless he, he unless he had no idea that Cary Grant was even in that thing, but you know if he <laughs> if, if he came in a little late and didn't see that that Cary Grant was the mock turtle, yeah they they felt that it was just absolute surefire, and this was this was a very important thing for them to do something that was surefire. They couldn't take risks at this point because their company was just about to go under, but they took it and they were wrong. They were totally wrong. Well, I think it's it's odd people's reaction to movies that have a ton of stars in there. Like, ooh, it's got all these people. This must be great because it has all my favorite people. But I always think any movie that has too many stars in it, I'm thinking, what's wrong with this movie? You know, I always think that. Why did they have to throw all these stars into it? Yeah, I'm happy about a good good long list of great stars if they aren't people like, you know, on the level of Jimmy Stewart, Cary Grant, if you've got Jimmy Stewart, Cary Grant, um, uh, Gary Cooper, this guy, this, you know, all these, all these top, top leading men or top, top leading women, you do know something's wrong. But if you've got a lot of people in there who uh, are good character actors, uh, then you often know that you've got something right. So I, right, I, right. I, I agree with you on that yeah if, if it's got all these really mega popular leading people it's usually i agree it's usually a bad sign so why don't we go to my list of hates here yeah, go to it already god steven how long do we have to be here <laughs> uh, we we have so much hate to get to get out and we didn't even hate that movie this much or hate this movie that much Something like that. I don't know what I'm saying. Or or uh, hate this movie that much. Hey, yes, that's. I think that's what I'm saying. We didn't even. Hey, this isn't Hillbilly Blitzkrieg that you guys are are talking about here. And let's talk more about Hillbilly Blitzkrieg. Yeah, let's talk about that. Does anybody uh, remember that? Because we don't talk about it enough. No, we don't. We don't mention that movie enough. It's funny on the IMDb Movie Connections. I think just about every connection 
from that movie is going to be episodes of our show. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to make it a star. Yeah, we're going to make it a star. Uh, go out there and, and be a star. What's that line from 49th Street? Anyway, I've never seen that. My hates uh, number one is Richard Arlen is the Cheshire Cat, Polly Moran is the Dodo, and Gary Cooper is the White Knight. I disagreed with you on that one. I thought all three of these actors were dull and they didn't really get into the spirit of what they were doing. I felt that too often, even with the good performances, I felt that too often they were just a bit too muted. They almost seemed to be weighed down by their costumes, almost. Mm -hmm. W.C. Fields, for instance, was really, really good, but I, it felt to me like he should have taken it a little bit bigger yeah. Uh, like Edna May Oliver did for the Red Queen. And I think what, what put Cary Grant into the uh, love column for me was that he let her rip with his performance more than just about anybody. And I was getting a little bit irritated this time with a few of the muted performances. Again, most people were good. And there were a few, hey, some hey, hey, Stephen. ones. Steven, yeah, um, yeah, I was th- I was thinking about about the cat, and Josh and I um, mentioned this when we were watching it. Uh, you know, it's such an iconic character in this movie, and it wasn't there very much. No, it was very right. very brief, and it, it looked weird. There was nothing like curious or inviting or interesting about it. It was just. Yeah, it just, it looked like some child had used scraps and sewn a cat together and then they only let it on there for what, five minutes? Yeah, it, it, it only comes in one scene and it's a very short scene. And in the book, the the cat comes and goes multiple comes and goes, times. Yeah, it right. like carries and, her through. Yeah, yeah, it sort of pulls her along. Just like the, like the rabbit, it kind of, right. those two characters kind of propel her. Exactly, and, and it felt too much like, um, here's this thing. Now here's this thing. Here's yes. And, yes, and so the, yes. the rabbit being in multiple scenes, and then and the cat being in multiple scenes are characters that are pulling along and sort of uniting the whole thing. Right. Yeah. And and then at the end, all the characters, um, and this is in the book, or a lot of the characters, come back at the end for the for the trial, um, the Mad Hatter and March Hare and 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 the Queen. Yeah. And, and they come back and and I can't remember what even what the hell happens at the end of this. It's an version, absolute but, food fight chaos. Yeah, <laughs> it just it kept getting weirder and weirder, and then it just dissolved in this acid trip. And I'm just thinking, yeah, you know, I, I Aaron had slipped me a tab of acid or something. I'm just like, what the hell is even going on? I would on never anymore? share like that. <laughs> no, she did slip you something, and then it just turned out it was unnecessary. That's what she told me privately. Oh. <laughs> um, I, I I loved that scene because it was such an acid trip, uh, but th- it didn't have the same effect as all the characters coming together for in, in Alice in Wonderland's for the croquet game, right? And we even see a no, lot no, of for characters. the trial. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. That's right. That's right. But a lot of the characters do return for uh, the croquet game, but it's not it doesn't have the same effect as everybody coming to for that trial mm-hmm. and all the characters come back for that trippy scene at the end, but it's just too, it is too chaotic for you to, to feel like a sense of, I, I'm not sure what the word I want, maybe cohesion. Um, right. Yeah. You know, th- it's, yeah. it's not so much of a callback as it is in the, in, in the Disney movie. Uh, I did. I did enjoy the trippiness of that scene, though, quite a bit. That was that. I I loved that. That was good. The yeah, and it, 
and they i'm glad the cheshire cat didn't keep coming back because he he was played by such a dull actor right i wasn't that familiar with richard arlen and i looked him up and i just briefly scanned his his imdb biography and it turns out that that even the biography on that on that said something about him his performances leaving uh leaving much to be desired uh, i don't know if that was a for a particular i don't know if that was for early in his career but i i didn't re- i wasn't really familiar with this guy and in this role he was extremely dull now polly moran i don't know if i've ever actually seen her but I know her from Leonard Malton criticizing her in his books about uh, comedians. I think she was the one who was uh, paired with uh, a very, very funny woman named Marie Dressler. Uh, she could have been paired with um, Zazu Pitts in those uh, in those um, Hal Roach films, but the, just the name stood out to me as, as uh, Leonard Malton just called her talentless. And here she is playing the dodo and her talentlessness comes right through, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, Gary Cooper, on the other hand, is an enormous talent, uh, but he has the talent of being very, very down to earth. And I don't think that he could really w- play any kind of character from Alice in Wonderland. Uh, and the White Knight's really strange. I mean, they made him bald, and yeah, I didn't think his performance worked at all. And I right, and, I, and I'm not disagreeing with you on that. You said you oh, okay. disagreed with me, but I think his his performance was extremely muted. Like he thought he was in a a serious movie. That's kind yes. of how he played the character, which it was kind of funny with him falling off his horse constantly. <laughs> but I I don't think his performance was great. It was it, you know it it was too dull. But to me, it was still better than High Noon, where I found him even more dull. Right. I felt bad. Horse, the horse just had this look on its face like, I cannot believe this is my job. <laughs> how the hell did I get here? That- yeah, and think of how many takes that horse must have had to go through because it's <sighs> it's not just that scene. But yeah, I found that scene dull. There, there were things, things that made up for it. Like there were weird effects that were kind of sped up at some point. And the, yeah. the, the falling, I mean, you can't go go too wrong with falling off a horse. That's, that's There was, there was a weird uh, moment between the two of them where yes. he falls off his horse and she's uh, down there listening to him talk. And then they continue the, the dialogue in audio, but the actors are clearly not saying anything anymore. Did you notice that? Oh, I did not notice that. When he's getting back on his horse, they're continuing their conversation, but their lips aren't moving anymore. Oh, funny, funny. No, I did not notice that. They must have felt that that dialogue didn't work or... Or maybe maybe Gary Cooper was mumbling too much because he, you know, he's definitely not uh, of the Lawrence Olivier school of actors where they've got these voices. You know, he was right exactly the opposite, and I think that makes uh, that made him very wrong for just about any role in a movie like this. You need to be way over the top to play these way over the top characters right and that's what annoys me about this line of thinking and why i think it doesn't improve movies to just throw all your stars at it it makes sense to find actors who are good at this type of role who is the best at this type of role because it isn't always who's hot right now that those things don't always coincide a lot of times you can find you know actors who aren't necessarily as good in general or at least as popular who are good at this specific thing but oh no 
that'll never sell. We've got to put some huge uh, uh, actor or actress in this role uh, because they'll bring people in, even though their performance wouldn't be as good for this character. Yeah, I don't know if Richard Arlen was huge at the time. I'm guessing he probably was because I think he was a, a leading man type. But it was really sad seeing Sterling Holloway, Holloway, Sterling Holloway play the frog right. in this movie. Uh, he's best known as Winnie the Pooh, but he was also the Cheshire Cat in the Alice in Wonderland Disney version. And he would have been obviously much better. And it, it, Because what little we see of the Cheshire Cat, I wanted to see less of him because that guy's dull performance just wasn't doing it for me and we're used to the cheshire cat being very very interesting right and sterling holloway barely had anything to do in the the frog that he played no and 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 what little he had to do was was really good and it's it was too bad (laughs) it was way too bad okay my my second and third ones go together so i'll just say them together i thought the pacing was a bit slow and a bit awkward uh maybe you would both disagree and call it very slow and very awkward or would you disagree on that I don't know. It's hard to say the pacing was slow and there were just so many things. It was like, he stop here and do this and stop here and do that. So it's, I don't know, for me, it's hard to say the pacing was slow when there was so much crammed into this, but definitely awkward. I would definitely agree with you there. Yeah, I think it was slow as far as, you know, until she got through the glass you know, that intro uh-huh. just, yeah, it it's took a just, long time for her to get to, you know, we wasted I, so much time with the, the, uh, the title sequence that we really just needed to get into well, Wonderland I, at that yeah. point. Yeah. I mean, just her walking around and whining and bitching and complaining because <laughs> she can't go out in the snow, you, you know, so that took, that was really kind of grating on me, but I agree with, with Josh that once you got into Wonderland, it was like, little stops along the way with nothing cohesive about it oh uh, one brief detour josh was the snow in the books i don't remember seeing any other version of alice in wonderland with snow unless i'm mistaken and it has been a while since i've read the second book through the looking glass i believe the snow is from that one i know all the chess pieces all the, the white queen uh white uh, night, all that stuff comes from through the looking glass. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it, it seemed like something they wouldn't just make up for no reason, especially since the snow was not quite that relevant unless they found it super duper important to have her tell the particular lie that the that the rabbit's wearing snowshoes or whatever she said. But uh, the reason I call this, the reason I call the pacing a bit slow is because you're you're both absolutely right. They crammed a lot of stuff in there But there were a lot of individual moments I felt that really needed to pick up the pace. Mm -hmm. And even with all this stuff crammed in, and even with the fact that in the end, I found this entertaining and even loved this movie, there were a lot of moments where you just want them to to direct, you just wanted McLeod to direct it a little bit, um, a little bit better. And what, what number three, the, the comment that pairs with this is that the story has no urgency or momentum, which mirrors what I think both of you have said about this, that it's just one thing after another. Yeah. But nothing's, there's there's nothing that ties it together. She's not, she's just having a lot of weird adventures and they're not upsetting her that much. She's enjoying them, which again, I have such mixed feelings about it because 
I kind of like that. <laughs> and <laughs> maybe the book handled that better. Because, uh, because Josh, you said that the books uh, in the book, she's she's um, like that as well. She's uh, she's not that upset by by what she's experiencing, like she is in the Disney cartoon, right? Um, I think she's somewhere in the middle because she does have some emotions about things, and she gets annoyed by this or that, and she feels embarrassed that she keeps talking about her cat in front of that mouse yeah. and um, the other animals who who get freaked out by her she keeps mentioning the cat but you know she doesn't react in the way that a normal kid would react when she's you know shrinking and growing and talking to animals in 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 the cartoon i remember especially when i was a kid i i just felt such great urgency about her finding that rabbit because they, they made it feel very important and as a kid especially i i wanted her to, to catch that rabbit that was extremely important it just felt extremely important and everything about what was going on felt extremely important nothing felt important here it was very much like a dream i guess that's a testament to the good parts of the film the the costumes and weirdness of it that i still love this movie but there was no urgency no momentum and mm-hmm. it did feel a little bit longer than 75 minutes right you know i one thing that you know as i'm sitting here listening to you talk you know, in, in the Disney version, a lot, anything that tried to like hinder her from finding the rabbit and hold her back came across with a very sinister vibe. Yes. There really wasn't that push-pull here. There there wasn't a sense of adventure here. It no. was more like, I'm just going to the grocery. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it, yeah. it's just, I'm just taking the nature walk. And then, you know, so you, even the, the Red Queen, she she yelled off with her head so much it lost its effectiveness. Yeah, that, that was such a scary thing to me as, as a, a child kid, to have this capricious woman running around telling people to cut their heads off. I just felt (laughs) no danger that she would actually do it. And I was also wondering, we find out in this movie that nobody actually does get his head cut off. And I don't remember that being the case in any other version that there's actually no danger here. Right. I don't, I don't think nobody ever said it explicitly. It seemed almost like they threw that in this movie because they were worried that somebody would, take that seriously where you know are, are were you guys saying that were you criticizing the the disney cartoon by saying that she was saying it too many times and it dulled no, the effect no I'm no sorry. in this movie she was saying it too many times too many times oh okay okay in this one and and i just felt like it was just it was almost like she was just this parrot that was on repeat yeah it had it wasn't attached to anything it wasn't attached to a situation she was just sitting there saying it over and over and over again like she didn't have any other lines so she didn't right. repeat this one. Oh, i didn't so, feel i didn't feel like she was saying it any more in this one than the other one but I, I do feel like it came off in the right spirit at least in the disney cartoon because it becomes a joke because she says off with her head off with her head about everybody and everything right but but this woman this queen of hearts kept saying it rapid fire and i don't think the cartoon queen did that no no no. and that's what i'm that thank you Stephen. that's what i was trying to say yeah yeah i i felt exactly the same way uh, about that even like the mad hatter and tweedledee and tweedledum and i forgot what the little creatures are that like pull their own heads off in in the disney version 
you gotta get a little sinister vibe from them. You feel like they're keeping her from the rabbit and that's yeah. a bad thing. Yeah. And it's not explicit. It's just, she kind of get that vibe. And in here, there's no sense of anything, no urgency, no yeah. danger. Right. No and it's, it's so funny that we would all agree that the Disney version is more sinister because the one that looks more sinister, far more sinister, is this one. Is this one? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, there's nothing that looks as sinister as that mock turtle. <laughs> I never want to see it's, that again. It's the crying. I don't. I don't know which was worse, the crying or the singing. I had literally blocked the singing out. I can't make that up. Like when you said singing, I'm like singing. And then it came back to me. Yeah. Maybe you complain about all songs. What are you talking about? (laughs) Well, maybe uh, Walt Disney was right to cut out the mock turtle altogether out of uh, out of the cartoon. Maybe. Yeah, and it's also funny to me that I felt that the Disney film was not perfect with the momentum either. It, it was sometimes of a mixed bag, mostly great stuff. But some of the stuff I felt was a little bit of a hindrance in the Disney cartoon. The the flowers, I never care for the flower scene. I don't think that's very good. And there's maybe one or two things other that just don't work that well. But compared to this film, it's, it, it's Pinocchio or Dumbo. Yeah, the the flowers would be the one thing if if I were going going to go in with my pair of scissors, I would shorten up the the flowers scene. And speaking of shortening up, uh, once again, I've allowed us to go so long because I enjoy our conversation. I hope you enjoyed it too. Uh, this is uh, as far as as far as our audience goes. I don't care how long it is. Uh, they, <laughs> screw you, audience. <laughs> I know. I don't care about you. Now they, uh, I like long podcast a lot of people do maybe they won't like this particular long podcast but uh, we'll see about that but but thank you so much uh for doing this yet again i really enjoyed this conversation uh and even though it's a lot of fun when we really really hate the movie it was kind of nice to to have something we had a little bit more love for but what did you do how do you grade this as far as the thumbs up or thumbs down goes i give this a thumbs up I give it a thumbs up as well. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I would give it a very mild thumbs up. I mean, e- even with all it's, I mean, I've been bashing it, you know, most of this podcast, but there's just something so bizarre about all its badness that I still yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I've definitely gotten softer uh, over it since I was a teenager. I, I really loved it. And again, I want to make clear, I'm not calling it a film without shortcomings. There are many, but I, I loved it. I loved it. So how are we going to condemn this movie? Again, audience, uh, this is our challenger today, and it is going up against the the movie that has been winning since uh, the first one. It, we must think it's some kind of classic, I guess, is uh, <laughs> Two in the Dark from 1936. Such a uh, that is classic. still the champion. So are we going to uh, are we going to let the challenger finally win or are we going to condemn Alice in Wonderland from 1933? Joshua, what is your vote? Well, maybe it's just that I'm tired of uh, Two in the Dark being the winner when it doesn't deserve to be. Or maybe it's my love of Alice in Wonderland in general or my love of bizarre uh, homemade Halloween masks. But I would say that we should kill off Two in the Dark. Okay. And Aaron? What he said. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I can't believe it. 
Well, how, are... how I look at it, Stephen, is which movie would I not mind watching again? That's how I do it every single week. Yeah, like, yeah. And I what, can I to what can I tolerate? What can I tolerate? Tolerate. What can you tolerate? <laughs> Someday we're going to get you a movie that you're not just tolerating. I, I, I swear to God, I, I would watch Two in the Dark again for sure. But not that my vote matters at this point. But I am also going to vote for thumbs up. This is the thir- first time we've ever all given thumbs up to something. And it's finally the time where we're going to kill off the very sturdy, the very honorable Two in the Dark from 1936. But it's not that great of a movie. Uh, it may have looked better than it really was because it was going up against uh, Prairie Moon, Nabanga, and uh, Hillbilly Blitzkrieg. So we are going to kill off Two in the Dark from 1936. And finally, we've got a new one. New, new winner, new champion is Alice in Wonderland from 1933. Thanks everybody for listening. And please join us again next week when we'll be reviewing Mr. Bug Goes to Town from 1941. Until then, this is Steven Sperling. This is Aaron Paris. And this is Josh Sperling. For This Movie Must Die. Put down that menthol.